2: Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host Nate Ryan. Back here with another post-race edition of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. We're going to discuss the events that transpired at Richmond Raceway. Alex Bowman stealing a victory as Joey Logano put it Uh, with a great final restart. And to talk about all that, I'm joined by our NASCAR and NBC analyst and appropriately our crew
3: chief analyst, Steve O'Tart. Stevie, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Man, I'm excited to be here. I hate to say this because I like Joey Logano, but there's no such thing as stealing. You earn every (laughs) one of them. There's no pictures in the record book. Uh, There's just trophies on the shelf. He didn't steal it. The top 20 didn't crash on the last lap. He didn't go from 21st to 1st. He hung around, improved his car. Now, was he fortunate? Did the race fall to him? Of course. You have to have some good breaks, but I hate to steal it. I hate to got lucky. I hate that it fell in his lap. I hate all of those awful cliches because guess what? Everyone had a chance when they threw the green, and Alex Bowman won it. Now, was he the most dominant car? No. But they don't give out trophies to the most dominant car, Nate. They give out trophies to who got to the finish line first. And in
2: this case, that was the number 48 Ally-sponsored Chevrolet. First victory for Ally, by the way, comes on the same day as the Jimmy Johnson IndyCar debut at Barber Motorsports Park. I want to talk to you about that later, Stevie, and I'll confess that was where a lot of my attention was diverted yesterday, so I apologize. You're going to have to walk me through probably some of what happened at Richmond. I did my best to study those final 15 laps, and like you said, I agree with you. Bowman didn't necessarily steal this. You make your own luck, and in this case, Bowman and Logano as well both credited Greg Ives the crew chief on that number 48 who I know you know really well you know Alex Bowman said it was all some sort of air pressure adjustment that Ives made for that final restart. Hamlin said that he thought that the number 48 just had its tires pumped up and that that was the key so walk us through
3: Stevie like how all that worked what you think that adjustment was that Ives made that essentially won Bowman the race. All right, Richmond in a nutshell, the Martin Truex-Denny Hamlin show. At one time it was Hamlin, at one time it was Truex. They swapped the lead back and forth through pit cycles. Whoever was out front seemed to be better. Then Joey Logano comes on the scene, no surprise. Penske good at Richmond, has some pretty good long run. But I'm going to hand it to uh, my Fox friends over there, Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer, with about 50 to go. They both pointed out, hey, you know this 48 car back here in fourth or fifth, starting to run some of the best laps of the day. Uh, They said the same about Kyle Busch. They said if they get a restart and get it bundled up, they, they didn't say it was going to be the 48, but they let me, the viewer, know that the 48 was in the picture. That's why I kind of got on my, my soapbox about stealing it. You know, it was obvious enough to, to Jeff and Clint that the 48 was decent. You mentioned the adjustments. So here you have it, right? Caution comes out, you know it's going to be a short run. You take air out of the tires because as you run them, they get warmer, they inflate, and they lose grip. So you actually start probably below what I consider, quote, peak grip, and then you put air in them. For qualifying, you put a ton of air in them. You only have to run one lap. Well, the hardest thing to do is how much air do you put in each tire for your car to still drive good, right? You just don't put five pounds all the way around. You put a little bit in the left, maybe a little bit more in the right, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. You try to, a lot of guesstimation work. Do you put fuel in? Do you have nose weight? I'm going to tell these guys or the listeners that this dart that Greg Ives is trying to throw is in a moving dartboard and he's not even sure where the target is. So, probably past history, probably gut racing decisions. We talk a lot about simulation and all that. I don't buy it for this adjustment. This is a crew chief staying on top of his game. I used to have to have a note in my pit box, Nate, and it was with 25 at a short track, 25 to go, 15 to go, five to go. And at lap 30 to go, I call my tire man up there and said, here you go. 25 to go, put those pressures in, 10 to go, put these pressures in, five mm-hmm. to go, put these pressures in. Don't ask me. Just continue to adjust them because when the caution comes out, we have to attack. We have to be prepared, be prepared. I'm sure the 11 had their tires aired up. The 19 probably had his. Everyone did it. This isn't a secret, but Greg Ives and the 48 with Alex Bowman behind the wheel did it the best. And bravo. Listen, that's why it's not stealing it. This is racing from start to finish. You don't get to take time off. So there are no TV timeouts. There's no half times. There's no, this isn't how it works. You got to always be racing. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Alex Bowman had the best car but I will say he had the best car when it mattered the most, which is that short run, which surprisingly was brought out by who else? Kevin Harvick actually had a great day going. I'm I'm gonna get off my Kevin Harvick soapbox about trying to beat him up for not being fast. Uh, They showed me that perhaps this is an aerodynamic disadvantage because or something they've lost. They go to a non-aero track. Martinsville, we knew they struggled, but they struggled last year. Go to Richmond, a track. I'm not gonna call it his best, but he was right there all day long. Flat tire brings out the caution and then the drama ensues.
2: Yeah, that was uh, surprising that it was Harvick who hit the wall to bring out that final yellow. And as you mentioned, Stevie, that, that last restart happened with a little less than 15 laps to go. Alex Bowman restarts third and passes Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin. Really caught them both off guard, I think, on that final restart. So great insight there on how the air pressure adjustment works. And you mentioned that that Ives was essentially throwing a dart here, but he did allude to the fact that he had experimented, you know, he was a little bit coy, of course, because, you know, you're a crew chief, a little bit coy in explaining exactly how this transpired, but he said in the first 30 laps that he had discovered something that he thought would work and he kind of kept that magic in his back pocket. Can you relate to that at all? Did you well, ever so, maybe, try something like that on the first run?
3: Yeah, so so we know there's a comp yellow. That's what yeah. Greg Ives is talking to right there. There's race green flags that has a destination. Lap 30, he knows the yellow is coming out. So you don't put air pressure in to run 70 laps. You know you only have to run 30. He probably aired them up. And he probably did it in a certain way that helped the balance of the race car. Cause there's two things that helps a race car go faster. Overall grip, which is just grip. It can be more downforce. It can be better air pressures, grip. And then balance, which means when the driver goes into the corner, the front doesn't slide, the back doesn't get loose, the car actually tracks the corner as the driver wants. I would take either, but when you mesh those two together, man, you're gone, shot out of a cannon. And to win on Sunday, you have to have both because these guys are all very, very, very good. Not surprising um, that Greg isn't gonna tell you the recipe to his soup. I mean, if you're the best chef in the town, you don't tell him exactly (laughs) how to make your dish. I mean, that's just silliness. So you keep grinding away and doing your thing. And that's what Greg was doing. But it's you know it reminds me, um, and I need to be reminded of this. I know I did it, but it was six years ago. And I'm telling you, the reason I don't do it anymore is because you're a crew chief 24-7, 365. You don't get a day off. You don't get an hour off. You don't get a minute off. You're either thinking about it, working on it, reading reports. In the race, you are working for the end of the race, making adjustments. I mean, these guys are always thinking ahead. Um, And it appears, if you take that quote at face value, which I'm going to, even because coy as he may be, He started the race with something that must have worked for the 48. Now that you say that, I'm going to go back and look at timing and scoring for the first 30 laps because I didn't (laughs) see the 48 as one of the better cars there. But uh, I'm going to do my homework as well and see. Um, And that's the hardest part about analyzing these races. I'm telling you, it's a very hard part about calling these races is you don't know who you're racing sometimes. Yeah. So, So over the course of the race, the 11 knew he was racing the 19. Then they probably both saw that the 22 was in play. But I'm pretty confident none of them had the 48 in play. Just because your bandwidth is only so much, Nate, you can't, you, you know, you can't kind of assume you're going to race everyone. So good for Greg Ives. Listen, you saw the fist pump. Richmond's not been a good track for Hendrick Motorsports. I know Rick Hendrick personally, and he's working on this milestone for Penny Enterprises. When there's a milestone out there with the 100th win, the 150, the 200, I was there for most of those. Um, he likes milestones. And yeah. now they're only too short of, of what Petty Enterprises has done in the cup series. Or maybe it's NASCAR. I don't know if he's, I don't know the exact right record. You know better than me. But that milestone is going to be important. I'll check on it. But yeah, hugely important
2: milestone and, and great position for Hendrick. I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But one more thing on Bowman. Uh, it seemed as if, again, it was just the last 10 or so green flag laps that he ran without adjustment. And it seemed like the last lap he was losing traction big time. Like he went from having, as he said, the most grip he's ever had. To he looked pretty squirrely off turn four on the final lap. And Logano kind of intimated that if it had gone any longer, this was not going to be a winning strategy for Alex.
3: Well, and that's why people say, well, why don't you do this all the time? Well, there you go. Because man, you come out of a, like a cannon, but you run out of fuel quick, man. When the grip goes away, there's nothing the driver can do. So one more lap, one more uh, slow car, could have changed everything, but it wasn't. You know, I want to say something about Alex Bowman though, because I'm guilty of this. I don't know if it's because of the lack of pedigree or resume or results in lower series. I don't know if it's a result because he's soft-spoken and never beats his own drum. You never hear Alex Bowman talking about himself as a great race car driver. When he went to Hendrick Motorsports, I scratched my head a little bit. He proved me wrong with a couple wins along the way. But I'm the first one to wonder how Alex Bowman fits in this garage of superstars with Chase Elliott superstar William Byam becoming a superstar Larson back over there superstar so so this is my you know public apology for something I didn't say but something I thought which is I I always ask myself what's Alex Bowman's fit at Hendrick Motorsports and you know what this is why Rick Hendrick and Chad Knauss and Jeff Andrews and the management of Hendrick Motorsports have built, a, uh, have not re, I would say rebuilt or reinvigorated a winning organization back to its winning ways. Because as an analyst, I question the Alex Bowman choice. And every time my mind questions it, he doesn't say nothing. He just puts a trophy on the shelf and proves me wrong.
2: Yeah. And I'll confess, I'm the same way. I was an Alex Bowman skeptic in 2017 too, when he was announced as the Dale Jr. replacement. I... You know way more than me about racing, but I didn't know if it was the right move. And now, lo and behold, here we are, 2021 season, Hendrick Motorsports, four cars, three of them have victories, William Byron, Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson. The fourth, of course, is defending series champion Chase Elliott. We know he's going to win one of these road courses. I mean, there's, there's five more in the regular season. I mean, what kind of position, Stevie, is Hendrick Motorsports in right now, knowing that it's virtually a lock they're going to have four playoff cars?
3: So I think they've improved their equipment one because no matter how good your jockeys are, if they're not riding horses, they can, they can whip that thing until they're blue in the face. It's not going to go any faster. So I keep circling and I'm going to continue to beat this horse. Chad Canal's is moving out of crew chief position to, to lead the organization on a competition level. The reason I say this is because I've been around a lot of very smart people in my day. And, and all of us have our pluses as a minuses. Never have I met someone as good with a race car as Chad. Never. Um, he, he, Is not worth a darn when they're 10% off. He'll be the first one to admit it. But if you get him to three or four or five percent off, he finds that last tenth and a half better than anyone I've ever seen in my life. He he grinds in the details. So I don't know what the it is that he has provided to these crew chiefs. It's either information or less handcuffs or more. I I don't know if it's less or more. I don't know what it is. But somehow they have this unison. They have this mixture of young drivers, they have these mixture of I, we've had this conversation. I want to say it again. I, I, I know they're going to say no, but I'm going to ask you, Chad, Chad, can I come sit a competition meeting? Because <laughs> I don't want to know who talks. Yeah. Because Chase is pretty quiet, but he's the right. champ. Uh, Kyle Larson, I know him pretty well, relatively soft-spoken. William Byron, soft-spoken. Alex Bowman, soft I'm, I'm trying to figure who leads this group because the fact is that someone is because the organization is, as you said, are they the strongest? I don't know. Gibbs has a couple wins with the 19. I feel they're the most equal. And I look across the board, they have the consistency of all cars. You mentioned it, the weakest car all year so far is the nine. I have zero concern. I think Chase Ailey and Alan Gustafson know it's a long year. They proved last year it only matters in the playoffs if you can do it then. But it, it, it's interesting because this is, I don't think they have the red hot Jimmy Johnson firepower. Or Jeff Gordon firepower, they may. We've yet to see that, the eight or nine win season out of a team. But I do think they have a 10 win season out of an organization. Or an eight win season out of an organization. And it might be spread across four drivers. So I think that's interesting, right? Because the business of racing, you would imagine it's easier to sell if all four are running well.
2: It's an interesting question you raised, Stevie, about the debriefs, too, because you know you were there for so many years at Hendrick, and you know that for the longest time, it all went through Jeff Gordon. And I think they they kind of stumbled a little bit maybe the last few years of Jimmy Johnson's career because he was in that role as like the dean of the drivers, but he's not – I mean, Jimmy's a great guy, but – He's not as well-suited, I think, for that sort of type organization-leading role that Gordon was. Is it as simple as, you know, you mentioned four soft-spoken drivers. The other guy you named, Chad Canales, is it as simple as maybe
3: a dynamic shift where now he's running the show versus the drivers? I have no examples but my job is to analyze these situations and from the outside looking in, I don't want to take anything away from the crew chiefs and the drivers, right? Because I do think they're very talented. Rudy Fugles adapting to the cup series has been amazing. Another great run from William Byron, seventh place at Richmond. I mean, he has this kid up front and I shouldn't call him a kid. Chad got on me the other day for calling him a kid. He had, <laughs> I had this young man, this driver. He is not a kid. He is a NASCAR driver. He deserves the respect. Once again, a top 10. Uh, so he's there continually week after week, race after race, at different style racetracks. We could talk about Allen, but we know what he did with Chase. I don't think there's any concern there. Greg guys proved that him and Alex Bowman can win. Um, I don't think we have any concern about the Kyle Larson car. We've seen such great speed out of that, right? So they had all these great kind of pieces to the puzzle. It's going to be interesting because it's very hard to manage. if They're all winning and you get into the playoffs and the seats start to shrink, man, it's a, it's a problem, but it's a great problem to have. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, right now, as a race fan, I, I'm looking at the rundown. It's amazing. Hendrick, Gibbs, Penske, Gibbs, Gibbs. I'd on the scene. Hendrick, Gibbs, Penske. I'm not going to say there's parity through the field. Yeah. But if you said, hey, prop bet, who's going to win? Hendrick, Gibbs, Penske. Um, no thanks. I, I don't want that bet. Hmm. Too much pressure. I, I, just, I just don't know. Stuart Haas is definitely the the weaker of those at the moment, but uh, it's still early.
2: Well, the one guy certainly leading the pack, unfortunately for him, finished second again on Sunday, and that is Denny Hamlin, who now has eight top five finishes, Stevie, in nine races. His frustration was evident on Twitter after, where he just tweeted simply, it rhymes with duck. Uh, which I think we all know what that means. Where, where are, yeah, yeah, exactly. Where, where are Denny Hamlin and crew chief Chris Gabehart right now? Because they've been so consistently good, as, as Hamlin said. I mean, they're stopping the field, but they still don't have that victory. So they
3: are in the proverbial very, very dangerous part, which is the top of a stepladder. They're at the top of the heap. They're leading the points. They have the best cars. They have led the most races. They are there standing where you're not supposed to stand, which is the top step of the stepladder. And I say that because it puts you up the highest and you have the best reach, but the balance is almost non-existent. I say that because when a second becomes frustrating, that is dangerous. That is a, that is an opportunity for a huge internal force fire at a team, first in stage one, first in stage two, second in the race. That right there is an all-star performance. It's a championship worthy performance. But how many times can you not be at the top of the podium at the end of the race. And that's my fear for Denny Hamlin is like I said, man, you know, so he, well, he got the most points of anyone in the race, but he didn't get the playoff points. He didn't get that five extra playoff points for winning the race. And I think he starts to see that and politely we did talk points and playoffs and all that stuff. It's Denny Hamlin races to win. He didn't race for points. FedEx doesn't put their, their decal on the hood because he goes runs good, right? right? They want a guy that wins and I have no concern as far as how they perform, but I do have concern, not concerned about the leadership because I think the crew chief and the driver have proved they can get through the tough times. But Nate, I am telling you, this is a, we use whatever bad analogy you want the top of a step ladder <laughs> out on a thin limb. I can give you a thousand of them, but I'm telling you, it is, it is so they are at a veer in the road. And to the left is, is an absolute dumpster fire. And to the right is the playoffs and a championship. And, and, the decisions they make in the next couple of weeks are going to be very, very interesting. And not decisions on how they race, but how they communicate, how they talk to the media. It's a great problem. I wish I had this problem. I mean, this is a hell of a good problem to have, but it's still <laughs> I consider it a problem when you can't win. And you and you
2: find seemingly a new way to lose, so to speak, even though again, top fives every week isn't exactly losing. But It's got to be getting frustrating for them. As you mentioned, it's victory or bust. It's championship or bust for this team uh, in year three of the Gabe Hart Hamlin partnership. But I'll give you one more thing that impressed me. And I want to get your take as a a former crew chief. They take the lead in that final caution on an unbelievable 11.9 second pit stop. (laughs) <laughs> Stevie, just your take on that. I mean, I was just, I watched that when I was replaying the race last night and just my jaw was hanging on the floor. I mean, w- weren't pit stops never supposed to go sub 12 seconds or sub 13 seconds again when they, they took away a guy a couple of years ago.
3: Listen, unintended consequences. You can't unlearn. I mean, how do we go to the Olympics or under hundred days away in Tokyo, summer Olympics. And I guarantee there'll be Olympic record set. How how is that? Did we all get faster overnight? Do we get stronger? Do we get bigger muscles? Do we, you know, technology not only makes race cars go faster technology. We we've all seen it in our everyday life, right? The regiment, which these pit stops are then coached, uh, which the people within the pit stop are now trained both physically, both mentally. We could talk about the equipment. It wasn't the Gibbs air gun for so long when now they all rent the same air gun. There's zero advantage to the air gun. It, it is amazing I'm going to drag it back to the rules saying the fans get all frustrated because NASCAR like always continues to tweak the rules, because if you don't change the rules, the teams will keep going faster. I mean, they're they're not going to unlearn. That's how it is. So it was an amazing pit stop. And I actually think that's what hurt Denny the most. Mm. I think the most of the frustration is I'm not saying at the end, I'm not saying he had a better car than Alex. Forget all that. But they started weeks ago prepping for Richmond. Then they worked the week leading up to Richmond. Then they unloaded and put it through inspection. And then they raced all day long, making adjustments on the car. And then they lost the lead. It looked like he was going to lose it to Logano. And then the caution comes out. And on a silver platter, the 11 team performs perfectly. They give their superstar quarterback the ball on the goal line with 15 laps to go. Here you go. Just finish this thing off. And I'm not blaming Denny. But Denny and the adjustments made and the combination of both didn't get the job done. And that, I think, hurts a driver like Denny Hamlin more than anything because he wants to be a finisher. He wants to be the guy that gets the ball. I saw one of the final runs at Darlington years ago where he ran, I think it was Martin Truex Jr. down from like 8 or 10 seconds back. And it was one of the most masterful 50 laps at Darlington I had ever seen with opportunity of disaster inches away. You know, that's what he is. That's what he's built his career on. Martinsville closing races out. So you could say the other races were kind of lost in different ways. And I might be missing one. I mean, I know Martinsville that Truex kind of ran him down, but he passed him with like 15 to go, right? right. Now here, there are two short tracks back to back that the short track master has been passed with no fluff, no cautions, no magic, under green passed for the win in the last 20 laps of a race. That hurts. A superstar's ego.
2: Yeah, no question. And you go back to the one before that, Bristol. I mean, we could be talking about a three-time short track winner here with Denny Hamlin, where he just right. he couldn't get around Logano on that. Now, on listen. Bristol with all that Bristol. said, I'll take him. Yeah. Like, if we're having a <laughs> driver
3: lottery, man, he's picked one. I'm taking Denny Hamlin right now. Um, that's why I'm. I only say this to encourage this 11 team. Find a way to use this as a building block, not a stop in the road, because they are operating on on cylinder. And I, I have a feeling something has this feeling where when they get the first.
0: Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since
1: 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. T R U G R E E N dot com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: The floodgates will open. I agree with you. It's like 98 to 99% execution level right now for the 11 team. It's just that final thing they have to execute. Again, full disclosure, candor, I did not watch a lot of stage one and stage two, but one thing that filtered through social media, Stevie, was a team that didn't execute quite as well at Richmond, Brad Keselowski, who you know, we saw dominate in our NASCAR NBC broadcast at Richmond last fall. And for whatever reason, uh, the team decided to take a really interesting strategy gamble and stage two kept him out there. Again, I didn't have the full information on, on what transpired there. So I want to get your take and your analysis. What, what was Brad Keselowski's team doing there in stage two? And did it make sense to you?
3: So on my to-do list this week is to call Jeremy Bullens and ask, what were you trying to do?
2: <laughs> yeah. I just
3: don't – I don't see it. And now to Jeremy's defense, Brad tried it, Blaney tried it, and under the radar, Austin, Austin Singer tried it. So it's three Penske, Penske entries. Something told these crew chiefs that this was an opportunity, something that was discussed, some sort of information. Joe on the 22, didn't try it. And I just – I'll be – you know, I, I couldn't I, – okay, in my mind, I'm like, okay, he's going to run like four or five laps long here try to get a lucky caution, get a little track position. And then when he kept running, I'm like, this is, I, I, and I was on a conference call with a couple of our NBC guys. We were talking about the raises that was going on. And one of them said, "Uh, so Steve, what's the two hoping for here? I said, I have no idea. (laughs) At this point in this strategy, I don't know what, you know, when he was leading, I'm like, okay, caution. Okay. You know, but then I'm like, okay, I, I, I do not know what he's hoping for here for this to work. Like this has gotten into no man's land where, I don't understand. Now, I'm sure there was a reason, and that's why I'm called Jeremy Bullens. Like, I can do my homework too. Like, he wasn't just out there on a whim. He had a plan, but I dang want to know what the plan is because I couldn't put it together. Yeah. Um, there was a 20 lap window that made sense. Akasha comes out, he gains track position, saves a set of tires, boom, he looks like a genius. But it just felt like it was a Hail Mary at the end of the third quarter. Like, they forgot that, man, you're just going to change ends of the field and keep playing. Like, I'm like, guys, what, what, why, why are you doing this? And then lo and behold, you know, these cautions, you don't know where he could have cycled out. And He's known as a short run guy. Could he have been Alex Bowman? Because he had to be running. I have to go back and check time and score, date, But he had to be running about where Alex Bowman was running before the strategy came. I don't know that for a fact, but they were both right around the top five. So an yeah. odd strategy. I didn't like it. I didn't like when he was doing it. And I definitely didn't like it at the end.
2: So they, they tried to tell him, Stevie, on the radio, they tried to tell Brad Keselowski that, Hey, this is going to work out okay, though, because we're going to have an extra set of tires now for the final stage. Was that the team just sort of like, oh, man, we don't know what we've done now. We've got to come up with, like, well, some I mean, way they're to encourage him. They're not yeah. wrong.
3: We get a yellow-filled final stage. Tires are the absolute most valuable thing in Richmond, and if he has an extra set, he's going to win the race with an extra set. But, gotcha. man, you know, there's a, there are times to try hard, and then there are times not to. And I am guilty. So I'm guilty. Listen, we go to Las Vegas, Jeff Gordon, we lead the whole race – and I put on two tires at the end. Why was I trying so hard? Jim Johnson beats us on four. We put on four tires. We at least have a shit. Like I took the ball out of my superstars hands. I'm like, no, no, I'm smarter than you give it back. Dumb move. <laughs> There's a reason those drivers own jets because they're the superstars let them do. It. And what I feel the two did there is I feel like they tried a little too hard. I felt like they had done what they needed to do. They were on the lead lap. They were in position. It was only the second stage. Like, you know, don't take it out of your superstar's hands, man. Like, let's like, like, just let him. He may not win. Maybe they finish the same spot. Yeah. I, I just don't think the risk versus the potential gain was a good good measurement. I feel like it was a huge risk for a small gain. I didn't like the call, mostly because, listen, I think Brad, you never know how Brad, I mean, listen, we know how he is. He could win on a restart. Why can't he?
2: So one more superstar uh, who was in the headlines on Sunday, and that was Jimmy Johnson making his IndyCar debut, finished 19th after starting 21st at Barber Motorsports Park. Stevie, I know you were focused on the NASCAR race, but curious as to you know your impressions. Uh, I don't know if you saw much of it, but Jimmy Johnson couldn't have been more giddy. I don't think I've seen him this happy in years. What did you make
3: of uh, seven time making the transition to IndyCar? So I tweeted this weekend that to see a seven-time champ go to IndyCar and be the rookie, and not only a rookie, but a slow rookie. I'm just going to call it like I see it, right? He's, he's at the bottom of every speed chart, obviously very different than anything he's ever done. So that, that is not a blame thing. But to see him do that is really a great lesson for every adult and, and kid alike, that it's okay in life not to be great at everything. And it's okay to do what you want to do, even though you're not going to be the best, even though the rest of the world thinks you need to do something else. Uh, you know he's really kind of blazing the way in my mind. It's kind of like the Michael Jordan playing baseball thing, right? Like like he just did it because he wanted to do it. And who are I, you and I, had to say that he shouldn't do it? And Jimmy Johnson, in my mind, I have not had this conversation with him. But the only way he can be running Indy Car in my mind is because he wants to do it. I, I don't see another reason. I don't think you know. Surely he's not in financial issues. The man has won races left and right. You know. I hope he finds whatever it is he's lacking. I hope something clicks that he finds some pace. Because remember, you know, his team car won the race. So you got to assume that Chip Ganassi Racing has the pace in those Indy cars. You know, it was fun to watch. I don't need him as a winner. I'll be honest. I don't need a winning Jimmy Johnson. I just need a, a uh, racing Jimmy Johnson. I need a guy up in the pack, middle of the thing, overtake it. You know, he did a nice job of managing the race, found out once on his own, missed the big wreck. You know, it's obviously a big learning experience for him. Uh, I wish him the best and I, we can, I'm learning the lesson from him. You know, it's okay. It's okay to put yourself out there. I think all of us could put ourselves out there a little bit more. If He's willing to do it. I mean, if anybody can hurt a brand, I'm guessing his brand Nate's a little higher than value than you or mine. So <laughs> if he can risk his brand to go do something he wants to do, maybe we all should. That's what's so cool about it. I think is he, he is just willing just to put himself out there and say, Hey, I didn't finish
2: last in qualifying. That's a moral victory for me. Good for I me. Mean,
3: like it's, it's um, the race fan should really applaud what he's doing because that's who's winning in all this. I mean, that lineup in the IndyCar series is impressive, right? I mean, we got, we got Jimmy in it. We got Grosjean in it. We got the supercar champ in it. I mean, it, it's a lineup for lineups. And then you look at the one-offs that are entering the Indy 500. Oh, I can't wait for the month of May. Can't wait. Cannot <laughs> wait. Now I do wish Jimmy, and I know why he doesn't, but I do believe in my heart of hearts, if you put him on an oval, he would be instantly much more competitive. I think the learning curve on the car in an oval is going to be much less than than the road course. I could be wrong. I'm not an IndyCar expert. I actually plan on having this conversation with Townsend Bell at some point. He's my IndyCar expert. I go to him. I am gonna say, Townsend, you know Dracing better than anybody. Do you think he would have a smaller learning curve and get his opinion? That's a great
2: thought. Something I'm sure we'll be talking about more the rest of this season we know Jimmy's starting to open the door of the Indy 500 next year. So maybe we'll see that. We know we're going to see you at Indianapolis Motor Speedway next month, which is great. Finally. Looking I forward to that. I convinced him to
3: let me go, Nate. I convinced them I to let it. me go.
2: I love it. I think you'll probably run into Jimmy there. You can probably talk to him a little about uh, uh journey here and, and how Hendrick Motorsports is doing as well. So always great to have you here, Stevie. Always
3: a pleasure to have you on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks for all the insight, as always. Hey man, it's a blast to join you. We, we've been blessed with back-to-back short track races, a great take all of that, throw it away, forget you ever saw it. Because now we go to Talladega, uh, and we all know what can happen at Talladega—chaos around every corner, heck on the straightaways, heck on pit road. It can happen anywhere at Talladega. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see who's going to stand up top.
2: Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. We are grateful for NASCAR and NBC analyst Steve Letarte for joining the NASCAR and NBC podcast to talk about Sunday's race at Richmond Raceway. Great to have Stevie back, as always, with so many salient points to make on team leadership and strategy calls from a crew chief perspective. And thanks, as always, to NBC Sports Producers Aaron Feldstein and Emily Conboy for helping with the coordination and recording of this podcast. We will return next week with another post-race edition with another NASCAR NBC analyst. As you heard Stevie mention, it's Talladega Super Speedway week, so probably lots to talk about again next Monday. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And any feedback, as always, you can send it to me on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.